Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique, specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Radia Lou on the socials. Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist, Gynecologist, and Director of Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Rayleigh. Welcome. If you're enjoying our show, please leave a review on your podcast platform. Many people are affected by infertility, and if you know someone who might benefit from listening to Knocked Up, it's easy to send them a link. You can probably tell that this is our passion project and we do it to support and empower women with evidence-based information to cut through the noise of Google and advice others might give, which, although well-meaning, might not be accurate. If you've got any questions you'd like to ask us, and don't worry, we'll keep them anonymous, email us at podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Today we've got a special guest. We've got Mandy Azalea, the Integrative Chinese Medicine Practitioner, at Nest Family Clinic in Elstonwick. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Mandy is a highly qualified integrative Chinese medicine practitioner based in Melbourne. She is a compassionate and empathic practitioner and a strong communicator with excellent listening and interpersonal skills. In clinical practice, Mandy focuses on an integrative approach to well-being. She values the traditional and holistic foundation of Chinese medicine and also respects the science and research strengths of modern medicine. Mandy has a special interest in women's health, including preconception care, infertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, pregnancy, postnatal care, and menopause. Welcome, Mandy. So, Mandy, why don't you tell us about your background and how you got interested in Chinese medicine and what training journey you had to get to this point? Well, it was quite a, a different journey. I, um, I went through school thinking I was always going to be a doctor and everything I did at school was with the purpose of getting into medicine. I didn't get in and I landed up doing um, the biomedical science degree at Monash, which I absolutely loved. And the aim was to do postgraduate medicine. But I was, got very sick with glandular fever and I spent many months in bed and there was nothing that anyone in the medical world could do to help me at that time. And coming from a very science-based family, out of desperation, my mum took me to a naturopath who within a few days I was feeling, you know, gave me some herbs and within a few days I was feeling so much better. So I always knew that I wanted to help people. I've always had a fascination and appreciation of the human body and I wanted to know how else could I achieve this Um, without going down the very long path of medicine because I also knew that I wanted to have children young and not necessarily go down that traditional path. So I approached um, Southern School of Natural Therapies um, and I applied for a naturopathy degree. 
But because I had so many credits in the sign in the sign subjects, I said, "Can I do Chinese medicine at the same time?" And they said, "No, no one has ever done these two degrees simultaneously." And remember, Chinese medicine is a double degree of both acupuncture and herbal medicine. So I said, "Look, I cannot choose. I actually don't know which one I prefer. I haven't had much contact, you know, experience with either type of medicine." Let me start off doing both. And that's exactly what I did. So for four years, I did the double degree of Chinese medicine, including the acupuncture and herbal medicine components. And I did all the subjects in the naturopathy degree that really interested me. So the four years of nutrition and the clinical practice and the herbal medicine, I graduated from the Chinese, the Bachelor of Chinese Medicine. So that, look, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because Unfortunately, the field that Mandy practices in is not as well regulated, I suppose, as a lot of more traditional medical fields. So one concern that I have when sometimes patients come who have seen a practitioner is how do I know what skill set that practitioner has? Because it's not across the board that people have the same degree of education and qualification that you have, is it? That's right. And a big reason why I chose Chinese medicine as opposed to naturopathy is because Chinese medicine is registered and accredited. Um, we fall under the APRA um, organization. And in Australia, in particular in Victoria, in order to call yourself an acupuncturist, you have to have very particular requirements and you have to do a lot of professional development. With naturopathy, um, they're, they're working really hard to get it accredited um, and registered, but at the moment, unfortunately, anyone could really call, call themselves a naturopath. And so so it is hard for people, um, as for patients or other referring practitioners, to know who to trust. We mentioned when I introduced you how much you do with women's health. Yep. How did you get into that field? Was that always what it interests you? Women's health is huge. As we know, that it, I mean, I, I feel in the 13 years that I've been practising, there has been an epidemic rise in the amount of women's health hormonal issues. And I, I feel like I, there was a bit of a calling while I was studying. I, I felt that. Women are more likely to go and, and, and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more likely to make changes. It's just been an area that I've found myself really, really interested in and I suppose what keeps fueling it is when you see these babies being born, and Raylia would know all about it. But you <laughs> Baby push-up. It, it, it's mm. just it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's I mean, I had a patient who came to me and she was coming for acupuncture to support her IVF. She came in with two photos of two blastocysts. She, they were transferred. And those two boys happened to be best friends of my son just by fluke. And they're in my house all the time. And it brings so much joy to me to know that I saw them as blastocysts. Yeah. And, you know, soon I'll be at their bar mitzvahs. I've been in the industry long enough, as Raelia would know as well, that now you see multiple children being born to the same family. And it doesn't matter what their journey is to get there, whether it's that they conceived quickly and naturally, whether they needed a bit of a push, whether they needed a bit of guidance on how to time it that month and the do's and the don'ts and some myth busting, or if they do need to actually have some more um, medical intervention and and help. And I I suppose we probably see very different ends of the spectrum as well, because I noticed that 
there's a lot of women who ultimately, and men who ultimately need medical assistance, who ultimately need even assisted reproductive technologies yeah. like IVF to conceive. But first they've sought help from a naturopath, help from Chinese herbs. And then when I asked them at the first meeting with me what they've done so far, that's part of their backstory. So I, I'm assuming that there's lots of people who you may see and be able to work on wellness, lifestyle, um, making sure that you're eliminating a lot of the things that are modifiable that don't get to me. But a lot of the people that I see ultimately do need my help. So um, what's your experience? So in, in an initial consult, I'll go through a full health appraisal of usually a woman, but preferably a couple. And quite quickly in the, in the beginning of the appointment, I can ascertain, is it something that they really need help with? And, and the referral to um, a reproductive specialist is going to happen quite soon. Or is it something that I can help with, clean up their diet, clean up their environment, help with stress management, help them track their cycles so that they know exactly when they actually need to be in the same house at the same time? Because these days people are traveling a lot for work. I've had a patient once who was tracking her cycle and she came in on day one and she was crying because her period had started. And I said, show me your your diary. When, when did you have sex this month? And she had a look and she goes, oh, we forgot to have sex. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so wipe away the tears. Let's start again the next month. So I think it's really important that we do, I like to go through um, everything with a fine tooth comb, make sure that they're minimizing caffeine and alcohol and, and, and just preconception care is very empowering. The healthier a couple is before conception, the healthier that baby is going to be. And the research is coming out now and it's overwhelmingly amazing. And I love to be able to give couples that opportunity to make a difference at the outset. In saying that, going back to what you were saying, Raylia, often I will have patients who I think I can't help or they're not prepared to do some of the work um, mm. and they're going to get there quicker by, by, you know, starting IVF um, or, you know, their sperm analysis may not be great and they need ICSI. There's a place for everyone and I think the art is tailoring the treatment plan according to the couple that presents. Are they in a hurry or do they have time? Sometimes I'll say to someone, I really need you to see a doctor and they're like, no, I'm not ready and I have to respect that. But as long as I give them the information that I think that they will get there quicker if they go and get assistance, then I know that I've, I've tried my best. I think that's really fantastic. And I think there's really a massive space for working together as well and, and having those relationships. I know many of my friends who've had trouble conceiving have often started off by seeing a Chinese medicine practitioner. What, what, what is the process of someone choosing to come and see you? What would happen in that first appointment? So I would imagine that a first appointment with me would be quite different to a first appointment with a more traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. For me, it's a, a full hour of um, going through every single body system, the presenting complaints, family history, the patient's personal medical history, their diet and lifestyle, their bowel habits, their menstrual cycle, talking about their, their fertile you know, window and are they ovulating, are they noticing, um, you know, fertile mucus. I would always look at their tongue 
and feel their pulse. That's a very traditional Chinese medicine method. What are we looking at there? Oh, there is so much. So with the tongue, we look at the shape of the tongue, the colour of the tongue, the coating. Are there any spots or cracks? And we could do a whole podcast just on tongue (laughs) tongue diagnosis. And then with pulse diagnosis, it's really interesting because, as we know, in in anatomy, there's only one pulse and you're only really feeling for the speed and the volume, I would say. Would you say that's... Well, the pulse is kind of a way... Well, there's venous pulses and arterial pulses, but we're kind of feeling vibrations of our heartbeat, really, going through our body. So from a Chinese medicine perspective, you feel it on both wrists... And there's three positions. And each of the three positions represent the three parts of the body. So often I will see with someone who is not getting her period, so amenorrhea, her pulse will be very thin and very weak and very deep. And that's a sign to me that we need to build her blood. Okay, she's probably presenting with a very thin uterine lining. And then I would say, okay, I need you to be on herbs for this amount of time if you're in a hurry, then you need to go get hormones prescribed by a doctor. Or you might feel a very wiry pulse. So just like you strum a guitar string and it's very wiry, a wiry pulse is someone who's very stressed, someone who just does not know how to unwind. And so someone like that responds really well to acupuncture. Um, Someone who is very aggro premenstrually, who might get a lot of clots Um, during her period. So those sorts of people respond very well to acupuncture, um, but you can use herbs. And then there's the women who are older. Um, They may have a a poor ovarian reserve and they're what we call their kidney pulse because your kidneys in Chinese medicine represent your reproductive organs, um, is very weak. And when I marry that up with the antral follicle count and the AMH, I kind of think... There's work to be done, but let's refer you on to a doctor as soon as possible. See, it's so hard, isn't it? Because to me as a, I mean, again, and my background's so traditional, you know, kind of like my family, very medical. My mother's a dentist. My dad's an eye doctor. So I was always brought up with a very traditional background. And I, I've never personally undertaken, for me, naturopathy or Chinese medicine. Mm. And really my first contact with it is through patients who are doing it. But to me, just like it's so hard and I understand that this has been done for centuries and that there's a lot of kind of things that are probably very, very empirical about it. But to me, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that a pulse can affect Can show? Well, that can directly translate. There's like a disconnect between the theory and the endpoint. How do you overcome that? Because you've got that scientific background. You know that the kidney I has s- nothing to do with reproduction. Uh, it, but it's not, not. I know. I know. Yes. It's representative. Yes. So, so how do you marry that? So I spent the first year of Chinese medicine arguing with <laughs> the lecturers, absolutely arguing. I came in with a biomedical, call it arrogance, where I knew a lot about the human body and I could not understand. In fact, she was talking about the pericardium. And in Chinese medicine, the pericardium is closely related to the heart and it's got to do with a lot of emotions. And I said, no, the pericardium is the lining that wraps around the heart. And she was trying to say, we're not talking about the pericardium as you have learnt in anatomy. We're talking about an organ that has been translated from a Chinese medicine 
principle into a function in the body and it's an energetic function. So that was like my first thing that I was like really firm on. And then I got an, I found the kidney example, a good one to get my head around. So the kidneys I talk to my patients about are more related to the adrenal glands. And so the adrenals are, you know, the little hats that sit on top of your kidneys that actually produce all your hormones that you need during stress, um, but also for reproductive health. Is that correct? Well, your adrenal glands produce some androgens that can sometimes be used to influence reproductive health. And also you do, as you say, they do produce cortisol and, and kind of the response that's required to deal with a stress response. But the androgens produced by the adrenal, we don't believe are directly related to ovarian health. Ovaries produce androgens too. However, we can use adrenal androgens to influence health uh, of the ovaries and, and the way that we stimulate in IVF, like for example, DHEA, because there's only one androgen receptor. All androgens work on the same androgen receptor. So you can manipulate androgens to change reproductive health, uh, but that's in a way that they don't directly form that function in the body. So yes. the adrenal androgens aren't directly involved. So modern medicine and science is very binary. It's black and white. There's a receptor for everything. There's a function for everything. Um, and until we've proven it, we've seen it, we've touched it, we've manipulated it, it doesn't exist. Chinese medicine is very different. It's an energetic medicine that evolved thousands upon thousands of years ago in an era where there were no faxes or emails or postmen or any ability to really get information from one part of China to the other but yet it evolved throughout the whole of China. And so to me, there's something quite unbelievable about that. Um, and the fact that it has withstood the test of time is amazing. And a lot of what I do is trying to take that real Chinese medicine, traditional, all those concepts and marry it up with science. But no one, it, it's, it's my personal take and <laughs> we can all read and it's, it's everyone's personal take on it. So when we talk about the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which controls, you know, fertility and reproduction and aging and all of that, there's something about working on your kidney energy from a Chinese medicine perspective that helps to influence that axis. I totally get what you mean. So I think it's really hard from a scientific perspective to kind of get around the lack of direct linkage, the direct, the, the lack of cause and effect, because I can totally see how traditional methods and herbs and things like that can have effects on function, but the explanations don't make sense to me. Yeah. It's like the missing link. And I feel like if we sat down and spoke about it for hours, you'd get an appreciation, but I don't even think I know everything. No. It's a work yeah, in I progress. Think anybody does. But I think that's also why often maybe someone who is struggling with conceiving, who mentally is not ready yet to go and see a conventional doctor can come and see someone like yourself, yeah. Mandy, because there's something a bit more they can relate to because it's a bit more about feeling. Yes, and there's there's quite a poetic way of explaining things. If we're talking yeah. about um, the two, the, the, we call it four parts, four stages of the menstrual cycle, and you can actually change the acupuncture points, change the herbs, 
for each part of the menstrual cycle. And when you explain that to patients, they find it really comforting. Mm. They feel like they are empowered. They, they, there is a change that they can make and they start to really notice the changes that need to happen. People, unfortunately, fortunately, have been on the pill since age 15. They come off at age 35. They have no idea what their body's meant to do and what a cycle is. Yeah. They don't know what fertile mucus is. They don't know what an ovulation pain is. Um, and so the whole process of learning with them is actually getting them in touch with their body. And then if they land up taking all the um, IVF drugs, it just puts it on supercharge. I'm able to give them an appreciation for what those drugs are doing. Um, instead of making one egg each month, you might make 10 so that you can extract more eggs for that, more follicles for that month. That leads in nicely to what I wanted to talk about next, which was is about, I guess, how you support someone going through the IVF process. So first of all, I don't give herbs if someone is going through IVF because I don't know, I cannot prove how those herbs will interact with the yeah. drugs that are being prescribed and I wouldn't want to mess with that therapeutic action. Acupuncture is amazing. Even if it's just from a stress reduction perspective, yeah. it works amazingly. It makes the patients feel like they, there is something that they are doing to help, help themselves during the process. Absolutely. It's also giving them an opportunity to touch base with someone and just be heard because sometimes with the IVF doctors and the nurses who are, are they're amazing, they need a little bit more time. You can never give enough support. Yeah. No mm. matter how much support you can give someone going through IVF, especially if they've been really stressed about the underlying factors, the chance of success. IVF is a process. It's not a silver bullet. No. And it would be an outright lie to say most people get pregnant with their first embryo transfer. It's not the case. Mm. It can take a while. Even when the science is administered in our most perfect way, um, there are underlying patient factors, embryo factors, and just everything has to align all of the events of embryo development have to go right to make a baby. So it can take time. And I, I'm really, really passionate about supporting my patients. But, you know, your doctor is a person too and they have a, a family and they have a life and they can't be on speed dial 24-7 right. for, for every patient. It just, they'd, go, they'd have a mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> so like the more, I would say we have to build our team, don't we? We have to all kind of work together to build provide, our network, build, build our, our team, network. build our trust. I've been to Vancouver twice to the International Integrated Fertility Symposium two years apart from each other. And I noticed there how much the IVF clinics have evolved compared to here. So as we know, in America and Canada, the clinics are very competitive. They're all privately run mm -hmm. and it's all about your statistics. Whereas here, I mean, up until recently, we've had Monash IVF, Melbourne IVF. Now we've got a few other players in, in the area. But there... The IVF doctors now all have an acupuncturist and a naturopath in their clinic because they can see that it improves their statistics and it improves the mental health of the patients. I was going to say the sanity. And, and it just makes the whole experience a lot more yeah. enjoyable for everybody. But it's about finding the right alliances mm -hmm. and um, making sure no one steps on each other's toes and everyone shares notes and we're all in it for the same What's outcome. having that holistic approach, isn't Correct. it? Yeah, we all yeah. want to make it, you know, as successful as possible for our patients and as 
uh, I guess, as gentle as possible for yes. our patients. Looking at some other women's health issues like polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis, these can have effects on day-to-day life as much as fertility. What are some things that you, you look at there? So, again, depending on who is presenting in front of me, mm. where they're at on their health journey, I may incorporate diet and lifestyle changes, nutritional supplements, herbs, acupuncture. It really depends on what they're presenting with. Yeah, and the approach is tailored. And the approach is mm. always tailored. There's no one size fits all. I would say the one place where I find there's a bit more of a, a one size fits all is the male sperm arena. Yeah. Because first of all, the males don't come in very often. Um, but depending on their sperm analysis and, and where the issues are, is it motility, is it morphology, is it stress, is it diet, you can give them a protocol and if they do it, you see an improvement. So I find that a little bit more prescriptive, whereas the women, every there is no one woman who is the same. None of us in this yeah, recording no, studio absolutely. are the same. So it's all very um, much tailored towards them. What I will say is in the Chinese medicine world, there are different types of herbs. So some practitioners prescribe raw herbs, which are specifically made for that patient, and she has to cook them up on her stove and drink it like a butter tea. I am a realist. I'm a busy mum of three, <laughs> and I do not I, I do not cook up raw herbs for myself, so I don't expect my patients to either. Compliance is really important for me, and so as much as I believe in the really traditional way of cooking up herbs, it's not what I do. It's not how I prescribe. So I prescribe in the form of, of capsules where these formulae have already been pre-made um, into capsules so that my patients can be compliant. But there are a lot of Chinese medicine practitioners out there who are doing granule herbs or raw herbs. And it's really important that we make sure that those herbs are coming from good sources and they're mm. not laced with heavy metals and they're really A-grade herbs, especially for patients of reproductive age where heavy metals could be a bit of an issue. So one thing I do notice when patients are on Chinese herbs is they have no idea what they're taking, which is really kind of like from a Western medical point of view where we have no education about what these herbs are. And whenever we prescribe a drug, it's generally one molecule at a time. Yes. It's not a whole mix of 25 different things all together. That's really hard because patients are like, is this safe? And, and Mandy, I've flicked mm. you emails many a time yeah. saying, what is this? Is it safe? You know, because we, we don't know and you can never say. I mean, certainly, you know, in the, in the medical world, we've had catastrophes like thalidomide where a drug's been yeah. given with good intention that's caused, you know, dire birth defects. Um, how do we know these things are safe and what are people taking? So in Australia, the Therapeutic Goods Association is very strict, so the TGA. So everything that we prescribe has to be TGA approved and has to have a, an approval number. Um, so that's anything that is a capsule or a pill. Again, if it's raw herbs, it's much harder and it's about trusting the practitioner and asking those questions of the practitioner you know, you can get herbs that are sent from China and mm. they might be growing on a side of a freeway with a lot of pollution. I wouldn't be taking those herbs and I wouldn't be prescribing those herbs. If it's grown here organically on a farm somewhere in Victoria, 
the chances are that it's going to be a, a good clean herb. But anything that I prescribe has been tested for heavy metals and pesticides and falls within the TGA guidelines, which are the, one of the strictest in the world. So all our, all our supplements and all herbs here from Australia are of the highest standard and far superior to even America. What what are we what's tried to achieve with these herbs? How do we translate the use of the herb to the outcome? So if we take, for example, those two formulae that you emailed me to ask me, like, what is this all about? Are they safe? In a nutshell, the first formula is used in the first stage of the menstrual cycle, the follicular phase, when we're trying to build that dominant follicle ready for ovulation. Um, where we need to build a really nice, rich, moist uterine lining ready for implantation. And the second formula is there to keep that uterine lining nice and thick, encourage implantation, help with any stress or insomnia or anxiety that that patient may be feeling as they're waiting to find out if they're pregnant or not. But really these, these formula can change for each and every patient. It's It's too hard to really simplify it. What we do know is a lot of the naturopathic herbs have been well-researched from a more scientific perspective, and that's where you see um, there's a famous formula which has two herbs in it that are given to women with PCOS, and those two herbs were based on a famous Chinese medicine formula, and there is a lot of research on that and its effectiveness with helping decrease the excess androgens with polycystic ovarian syndrome and helping to regulate the cycle. But do we know the mechanism of how they work or is it just observational? Because I, I would think, to me, some herbs in PCOS yeah. might work by impairing sugar absorption yeah. from food. That's exactly like it. Like you might just stop women from absorbing so much food. We use things like myonositol to yep. do that. yep. Um, So aromatase inhibitors and um, glucose tolerance. But it's bigger than that. It is so big. I mean, I'm happy to send you all the scientific documentation documentation on it. It's just for the purpose of this podcast for our listeners, I don't think I can explain it in a a simplistic way that will give it any justice. I think it has a similar approach to any medicine is that when you start seeing a new doctor of any practice and you're already taking medicines, you give them that list and that often comes with your referral to make sure that there isn't any interference. And like you've said, you don't prescribe herbs at all for someone who is under, who is undergoing fertility treatment Correct. so it doesn't interfere. And also the same way that should anyone come to see you and they're on blood thinners or cholesterol medication, you'll make sure that whatever treatment you give doesn't interfere. So... I think a really big part to me as an outsider is that the same approach of sharing that information happens between complementary therapies and traditional medicine. Something that I believe in is the placebo effect. I think there's nothing wrong as long as it helps. Who cares if it's the placebo effect or not? Do we think that's part of Chinese medicine to some people? I think it can be. For some people, they're very lonely. Yeah. And just having someone, someone to, to check talk to. into acupuncture is a tactile therapy. So you feel the different acupuncture points. When someone comes to me for an acupuncture session, my I'm very gentle. The needles I use, they're all sterile, hermetically sealed. They're disposable. You throw them out. 
I cover them with towels, I dim the lights, I put on some very relaxing music and more often than not patients fall asleep or they go into a really deep state of relaxation. And the magic that happens during that time, who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the research is, is mm-hmm. coming out, but we, people walk in wired and stressed and they leave feeling really relaxed and like they're floating on a cloud. Um, and that can only help if only your mental state. That can, even if that's all it's doing, if yeah. you're not believing that it is building a uterine lining, that it's promoting ovulation, that's fine, but it's still working on their mental health. Yeah. What I can say is in the beginning, when I first started practicing, I was like, oh, that was a fluke. She ovulated after we did that treatment. Oh, that was a fluke again. Ah, oh, that baby because I do acupuncture for breech babies as well. Yeah. Oh, that was a fluke. That was a fluke. And eventually after enough flukes, you go, actually, this works. Yeah. It works. And of all the breech babies that have come in to be turned, three have never turned. And I feel like I've lost count of how many have turned. That's pretty cool. Having said that, most beach babies turn by themselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> the I mean, I've got to say, okay, I'll give you the this is a very interesting example. room to be in. Yes. <laughs> so, Raylia, how would you explain this, right? Woman who has had one vaginal delivery, one VBAC, now pregnant, baby's breech. She comes to me, she says, I don't want another Caesar. I really want another VBAC. You have to turn this baby. I said, let's give it a go. Baby turns. Obstetrician is really excited, baby's head down. Goes for the follow-up appointment again, baby's back to breach. She calls me. I said, I'm coming over. I went to her house at 9 o'clock that night, did an acupuncture session, baby turned. She saw her obstetrician the next morning. He said, we're inducing you now. I'm not giving you any time for this baby to turn again. <laughs> you shouldn't be inducing a VBAC. That's not um, good practice. Yeah. But we don't know the whole circumstance. We don't know the yeah. whole circumstance. <laughs> But I think he was happy to risk it instead of another potential. It would have just maybe ruptured membranes. It wouldn't have induced. Yeah. Oh, I, sorry. It yeah. would have. It was yeah. a ruptured membrane. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't a medical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, I think I want to be so respectful, and I, I don't disrespect that. You, it certainly relaxation might help a baby turn, hundred percent, but. A lot of babies do turn by themselves. So, look, it's one of these things that we'll never know. Like, there's no way. How do you know? We just don't know. Well, um, until there's a big double blind placebo control. Yeah, exactly. You and do you know actually... what you're not? And exactly. And if somebody didn't have a scar and the baby didn't turn, we, they would be offered an external cephalic version, which Correct. is a... And do you know what we do in an external cephalic version? We basically give a uterine relaxant. Yep. So it can make sense that when the uterus relaxes, the baby's got a bit more space. But it also makes sense in someone who's multiparous, as in your story, that there's room for a baby to turn. And certainly being multiparous, having had more than one baby, you're actually that, that is a risk factor for a baby being in the wrong position in itself. So, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things we never know the answer. I think the most important thing is that what you're doing there can only do good. It can't do harm. Do you know what I mean? Like what, what you're doing for that woman is you're supporting her, you're helping her and maybe we're helping physically, maybe we're helping through giving her support and relaxation, but you're helping her. And your technique, from my point of view, could not do any harm. And, you know, that's what I say to my patients if they want to have acupuncture during IVF treatment. I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever because it can't do any harm if it gives them help 
physically, psychologically, if they believe in the Chinese medicine traditional set of, of beliefs, and it is, it is, you know, it is somewhat faith-based in some ways because there is no direct link between the belief and the action. Like you can't kind of draw But yet there have been so many incidences where a patient will walk in and say, I don't believe in this. It's a last resort. I think it's a load of rubbish. It's witchcraft. <laughs> I've been forced to come here. If I've got tennis elbow, if the acupuncture doesn't work, then I have to have a cortisone injection. I'll say, okay, give it four treatments. If it's not better in four treatments, go for your cortisone injection. And it works. And they'll come back and they'll say, I still don't believe in it, but it's better. <laughs> but I still don't believe in it. But it's, it's those real sceptical people who unfortunately get to a point where they are desperate and they're happy to try something. And then it works. And that's when I feel like I get my biggest wins. Yeah. To me, that's really cool. And at the same time, if I think I can't help someone, if it's been four or six treatments and there's been no change, I will say, this isn't for you. Or let's redirect the focus somewhere else. I'm not someone who's going to mislead someone. But I think that's the important thing about your approach and possibly what historically hasn't been thought about complementary therapies is that often people will just continue to try and treat and maybe take advantage of someone in yeah. a disadvantaged position, whereas actually once you get to a point where you can't help anymore, it's time to try something yeah. else. And even with something like labour induction, um, there have been a lot of studies on acupuncture for labour induction and the yeah. World Health Organisation even has it on their website. And massage yeah. as well. And massage, massage is amazing. Yeah. For labour induction. And again, is it just the relaxation? The actual mechanism, we don't know yet. But yeah. I know that in that 45 minutes when a patient's with me who's really stressed because it's her first pregnancy or really stressed because she's not sure it's her second pregnancy, she's not sure who's going to take care of her older child, where she's worried about what might happen in the hospital. You know, I talk about the process of if you land up with a Caesar, this is what it will look like. If you land up with a vaginal delivery, you know, and you want an epidural, We'll talk about that. We'll talk about so many different things that she might be scared of, that she walks out feeling empowered, that she's got more knowledge. Um, and it's that part of the journey that I love so much. It's the relationships I form with each patient mm -hmm. um, and tailoring the medicine according to them. Yeah. Mandy, where can we find you? So I'm currently practising at Nest Family Clinic in Elstonwick. Yep. Are you on Instagram? You're on the socials, I am on Instagram. I'm of at course. Optimal Fertility, Mandy Azule. Mandy with an I, not a Y. We'll put that in the show notes so don't people thank worry you. about spelling. I just want to thank you for joining us today, Mandy. Yeah, was... Thank you for coming on. We've really loved having you. It was thank fascinating. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thank um, and thank you to our listeners for listening to today's episode of Knocked Up. For more information about women's health, fertility, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. And check out our past episodes by subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. Our mission is to empower women seeking real, honest and accurate fertility advice. And we appreciate your help in getting the word out. You can email us your questions at podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. And also follow us on the socials, Women's Health Melbourne and Dr. Rayleigh Lou. We'll be back with another episode soon.